Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden announcing a potential new economic strategy for allies in and around Asia. But is China invited? And the president reiterated the United States' commitment to Taiwan. Biden says the U.S. will stand with other nations to prevent an attack from China. And the nation's top defense official addressing cadets graduating from West Point. In his warning, he urged them to prepare for future wars between superpowers, especially Russia and China. President Biden just announced his Indo-Pacific economic framework this morning. Trade talks halfway across the world could eventually impact your wallet here in the United States. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more on that. President Biden's in Tokyo launching a new Indo-Pacific economic framework as Washington tries to keep Beijing's influence in check. We share the same goal of ensuring a free and open Indo-Pacific that will deliver greater prosperity and greater opportunity for all of our children. The framework has 13 members, including the United States. Together, they represent 40 percent of global gross domestic product. The new group does not include China or Taiwan. Ahead of the launch, China's foreign minister accused the U.S. of trying to contain Beijing. In response, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told reporters that other countries can join in the future. He said the group is not a security arrangement. It'll mostly deal with economic policies. The group will focus on four main economic pillars, connecting economies, including digitally, supply chain resilience, renewable energy, and tax and anti-corruption. Ahead of the announcement, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai said trading partners in the region were enthusiastic. I don't think anybody's economy is stronger because of COVID, right? Um, and uh, there is um, a, a pretty pervasive sense of anxiety about um, uh, how we recover. I actually think that this presents us with an incredible opportunity. Back in 2017, the Trump administration pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Then China magnified its influence in the region with the largest trade bloc in history. Catherine Tai says the U.S. is focused on competition with China and bringing a market-based approach to the region. The United States will always bring an economic engagement that is grounded in our values. So uh, the engagement that we will bring um, by nature inherently will be different from China's engagement with the region. Seeking Alpha reports that the group is not a free trade deal. Instead, it's more of an economic arrangement. That means a lot of it likely won't have to go through Congress. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. President Biden said today his administration might remove some Trump-era trade tariffs on China. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen argued the tariffs seem to cause more harm to Americans. Republican Senator Bill Haggerty disagrees. He told Fox Business removing the China trade tariffs would take away the U.S.'s only leverage to bring China to more normalized trade relations. President Biden today condemned any possible attack on Taiwan from China. He says the U.S. is committed to stand with other nations in preventing any attack from happening. NTD reporter Jeremy Sandberg brings us more. When President Biden was asked on Monday if he was willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan in the event of a possible attack, the president answered with a definitive, Yes. The president says it's the commitment that was made. The idea that, that it could be taken by force, just taken by force, is just not, is just not appropriate. It will dislocate the entire region and be another action 
similar to what happened in, in, uh, in Ukraine. However, White House officials have pointed out after similar comments by the president in the past that no changes have been made to U.S. policy in the region. A lot of it depends upon just how strongly the world makes clear that that kind of action is going to result in long-term disapprobation by the rest of the community. The U.S. maintains a strategic ambiguity regarding military defense of Taiwan in the case of a Chinese attack. Biden criticized China and says his expectations are that a Chinese invasion of Taiwan will not happen or be attempted. They're already flirting with danger right now by flying so close and all the maneuvers they're undertaken. China's foreign ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin fired back on Biden's comments, saying China deplores and rejects the remarks from the U.S. Wang says the Taiwan issue is an internal affair with no room for compromise or concession, citing China's core interests on sovereignty and territorial integrity. The spokesperson urged the U.S. to abide by the One China Principle and warned against support of Taiwan's independence. The Chinese Communist Party's One China Principle is different from the One China policy abided to by the United States. The Chinese regime only recognizes its version, considering Taiwan part of its territory. While acknowledging China's stance, the U.S. does not recognize Taiwan as a part of China. U.S. State Department spokesperson Ned Price clarified the U.S. position in a Twitter post on Saturday. Price stated, China continues to publicly misrepresent U.S. policy and that the U.S. does not subscribe to the One China principle. Biden says the U.S. supports the One China policy but stands by past commitments. It does not mean that China has the ability, has the, excuse me, the, the jurisdiction to go in and use force to take over Taiwan. So we stand firmly with Japan and with other nations that, not to let that happen. Growing concerns about China have pushed Japan and other nations in the region to build up defensive capabilities. India, Korea and the Philippines are doing the same. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. White House officials say the president was not announcing any changes to U.S. policy. They say what Biden meant was that in the event of an attack from China, military equipment, not troops, would be sent to Taiwan. Similar comments made by Biden were also dismissed by White House officials in October. Biden and his aides have had to clarify his remarks regarding Taiwan at least four times last year. Top U.S. General Mark Milley has a message for the next generation of military leaders. He spoke Saturday to graduating cadets at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. There, he challenged the graduates to prepare America's military to fight future wars in a world that he says is becoming more unstable. In an address to West Point graduating cadets, General Mark Milley cautioned about looming threats from Russia and China. We are facing right now two global powers. China and Russia, each with significant military capabilities and both who fully intend to change the current rules-based order. As chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, he warned of potential conflicts between great powers worldwide. He cited Russia's aggression in Ukraine and tensions in Asia and the Middle East. And a rapidly rising China as a great power with a revisionist foreign policy, backed up with an increasing capable military. Also in Asia, we are faced with a rogue North Korea that is rapidly increasing their missiles and deliverable nuclear weapons. In the Middle East and parts of Africa, we continue to see instability from terrorism in many places. According to a threat assessment report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Chinese Communist regime has been building hundreds of new intercontinental ballistic missile silos. 
It's also developing space capabilities that target U.S. and allied satellites. Milley told the graduating class that technology will transform the nature of warfare. You'll be fighting with robotic tanks and ships and airplanes. We've witnessed a revolution in lethality and precision munitions. What was once the exclusive province of the United States military is now available to most nation states with the money and will to acquire them. According to Milley, artificial intelligence is driving the most profound changes in human history. And he says the CCP has taken advantage of this shift by including AI in its strategic development goals. The Congressional Research Service released a report in April on emerging military technologies. The document says Beijing is boosting the use of artificial intelligence in a variety of ways, including cyber operations and autonomous military vehicles. Milley urged the young cadets to prepare for a future that differs greatly from the past. Australia's new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, says the country's relationship with China will remain difficult. That's in his first press conference at Parliament House after assuming office. Here's that story. I, Anthony Norman Albanese. Australia's new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, will soon meet with leaders of the Quad countries in Tokyo on Tuesday. Although votes from Saturday's election are still being counted and some seats have yet to be decided, Albanese and several key ministers were sworn in ahead of the Quad meeting with officials from the United States, Japan and India. Backed by newly minted Deputy Leader Richard Marles, Foreign Minister Penny Wong, Treasurer Jim Chalmers and Finance Minister Katie Gallagher, Albanese held his first press conference as Prime Minister on Monday. There, he called Australia's relationship with the U.S. its most important, while acknowledging its relationship with China will remain difficult. I said that before the election. That has not changed. Uh, it is China that has changed, not Australia. And Australia should always uh, stand up for our values, and we will in a government that I lead. Labor Party leader Albanese defeated outgoing Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Ending nearly a decade of conservative leadership in Australia, it's still unclear whether Labor will govern with a majority, but Albanese said Monday he had already struck deals with some independents. Official results could still be several days away, with Albanese's full ministry set to be sworn in on June 1st. Still to come, a U.S. military aircraft arrives with baby formula from Europe. The shipment is meant to address the baby formula shortage. 17,000 babies will benefit. And four states are holding primary elections tomorrow. We take a look at favorite candidates. We'll have more for you in just a moment here on NTD News. President Biden made his first comments about the monkeypox virus while boarding a flight to Tokyo after visiting troops in South Korea. At least two people in the U.S. have been infected. What have your health advisors told you your level of concern should be about monkeypox and the cases that are in the United States and around the world? Well, they haven't told me the level of exposure yet, but it is something that everybody should be concerned about. We're working on it hard to figure out what we do and what... Uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told reporters that the United States does have a supply of vaccine that is relevant to treating monkeypox. Monkeypox is rarely identified outside of Africa, but as of Friday, there were 80 confirmed cases worldwide. There are another 50 suspected cases in the U.S. 
Although the disease belongs to the same virus family as smallpox, its symptoms are milder. People usually recover within two to four weeks without needing to be hospitalized, but the disease is occasionally deadly. In response, Belgium has become the first country in the world to require a quarantine for those who contract the virus. Individuals there have to self-isolate for 21 days. Help has arrived. A military cargo plane carrying the first shipment of baby formula from Europe landed in Indianapolis on Sunday. It's to help address a critical shortage in the United States. A massive shipment of roughly 39 tons of baby formula landed in the U.S. city of Indianapolis on a military aircraft Sunday, arriving from Germany as the White House tries to address the critical shortage. They also announced that a second flight had been arranged. Megan Gendig, mother of a seven-month-old infant with a dairy allergy, said the delivery was a big relief. They're lifesavers to so many children and so many parents, and I'm sure that not only babies are going to be able to go to sleep comfortably tonight because their parents are going to know that they actually have food to be able to provide to them in the next few days. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, who greeted the plane, said around 17,000 children will benefit from this batch of formula. In February, a recall by top baby formula maker Abbott Laboratories said the closing of its manufacturing plant in Michigan has created one of the biggest baby formula shortages in recent history for U.S. families. Dr. Emily Webb says she's working with the community to deliver the goods. These families and these children need these formulas to grow and thrive every day. And so to see this kind of urgency in action is really, really special. And we wanted to be here to make sure that, you know, to see it all coming off the plane, knowing that we're going to be working with our community partners to get it to the hands of families, just really uplifting. U.S. President Joe Biden's administration is seeking to put over a million containers of Nestle baby formula on empty shelves. Last week, President Biden invoked the Cold War-era Defense Production Act to help increase supplies. Four states, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, and Texas, will hold their primary elections on Tuesday. Let's take a look at the top candidates. In Georgia, Trump-endorsed former Senator David Perdue is challenging incumbent Governor Brian Kemp in the Republican gubernatorial primary. The winner will face Democrat Stacey Abrams, who lost against Kemp in a tight race back in 2018. In the GOP Senate primary race, Heisman Trophy winner Herschel Walker is ahead in the polls. He, too, was endorsed by former President Trump and is facing off against five opponents. Other Republican runner-ups include Gary Black, Kelvin King, and Latham Sadler. Over in the Democratic primary, incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock faces Tamara Johnson Sheely. Georgia uses a majority electoral system, sometimes called a two-round system. In majority systems, a candidate has to receive at least 50% of votes to win the election. If no candidate wins by outright majority, a runoff election is held between the top two most voted for candidates. Georgia's primary runoff election is scheduled for June 21st if necessary. In Alabama, a Senate seat is vacant due to Republican Representative Richard Shelby's retirement. Leading the polls on the Republican side is Katie Britt, Shelby's former chief of staff and war veteran Michael Durant. Other candidates include Lily Bodie, Carla Dupriest, Jake Schaefer, and Mo Brooks. Former President Donald Trump endorsed Brooks at first, but has since retracted his support. Will Boyd, Brandon Dean, and Lanny Jackson are competing on the Democratic side. Alabama's primary runoff is also scheduled for June 21st, if it's needed. Arkansas has four candidates running in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate, Jake Paquette, Heath Loftus, Jan Morgan, and incumbent John Bozeman. Democratic candidates include Natalie James, Jack Foster, and Dan Whitfield. 
James is leading in the polls, but will face an uphill battle at the general election in November in a state with a reputation of being a Republican stronghold. If needed, a runoff will take place on June 21st. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, former Trump White House press secretary, is favored to win the Republican nomination for governor against Doc Washburn, while Chris Jones is expected to win the Democratic nomination. And in Texas, the runoff for the 28th Congressional District primary has Henry Quare, Democrat incumbent representative against progressive Jessica Cisneros. On the Republican side, Cassie Garcia will face Sandra Witten. The Republican nomination for Attorney General is between incumbent Ken Paxton and son of former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, Land Commissioner George P. Bush. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A 48-year-old man was fatally shot in the chest while riding in a New York City subway car. It's the latest in a series of random attacks in the city's transit system. The gunman is still at large. He fled when the train pulled into the next station in Manhattan. The NYPD says the suspect paced back and forth in the train car before pulling out a gun and firing at close range without being provoked. The gunman is described as a heavy-set, dark-skinned man with a beard, wearing a hooded sweatshirt, gray sweatpants, and white sneakers. Police said the suspect and the victim were not acquainted and had not interacted before the attack. The victim was pronounced dead at a hospital shortly after the shooting on Sunday. A passenger bus on Sunday rolled over on its side while traveling on a Maryland highway. The bus was carrying 47 people. Dozens sustained minor injuries. The megabus set off from New York City and was on its way to Washington, D.C. It crashed around 7 a.m. 27 people were injured. 15 of them, including the bus driver, were taken to local hospitals. Responders lifted the bus upright by 9 a.m. Megabus did not comment on the cause of the accident, but is investigating. A company spokesman told the Associated Press that their top priority is the safety of their customers and employees. A worker for a local garage said that a tire was mostly ripped off, likely because of the way the bus landed in the ravine. No other vehicles were involved in the crash. Near record temperatures beat down in the northeast, while a late-season snowfall covered parts of the Rocky Mountains. New Yorkers rollicked in the sand of Rockaway Beach as a sizzling heat wave scorched a swath of the eastern United States this weekend. It pushed temperatures in New York and Boston to near record highs. But the early summer heat hit the east just as a late snowfall fell in the west. A separate weather system is pushing cold air south into Colorado. Flurries blanketed Denver and left thousands without power, according to local media. Between the heat and the freeze, a terrible storm in the middle of the country. A tornado struck the Michigan town of Gaylord over the weekend. At least two people were reported killed. The National Weather Service rated the tornado an EF3 with winds of 140 miles per hour. And just ahead, a toddler in Houston, Texas, almost drowned in her family's swimming pool years ago. The college-bound teen just had a reunion with the heroes who saved her life. Stay tuned for more after the short break. A teenager from Houston, Texas, nearly lost her life as a young child. But thanks to rescue efforts from the Houston Fire Department, she's now making plans for college. Here's more. High school senior Kennedy Gilmore from Houston, Texas, just had an emotional reunion with the heroes who saved her life. When Gilmore was just one and a half years old, she wandered into her family's swimming pool and almost drowned. So Hurricane Rita had come through and um, Rita and Katrina, but Rita had a lot of winds and blew our back door. Our back door wasn't closing correctly. 
EMT's Aldo Ramos and his partner from the Houston Fire Department arrived in time and performed CPR on the toddler, saving her life. Gilmore says she is thankful to them because she once met a victim of pool drowning who became disabled after being revived. Just express my gratitude for what they've done for me. The college-bound teen says she's not only grateful but also inspired to protect others. I'm a camp counselor and then I'm also a lifeguard and I'm just make sure that they get to have their fun while making sure they stay safe. Officials emphasize caution as summer approaches and suggest people should be careful with children in swimming pools. It is very unfortunate that we see these incidents. However, we do just want to reiterate, take swim lessons, learn your CPR, and also just be mindful of your children and those who don't know how to swim. In 2021, Houston topped Texas in the number of child drownings. The CDC reports that more children ages 1 to 4 die from drowning than from any other cause of death except birth defects. NTD News, Texas. If you've been feeling weighed down, now is the time for a little spring tune-up to give you that sunny glow. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body. The spring months are all about detoxing. It can help to keep your energy channels clean and clear. You spring clean your house, so why not do the same for your body? Because we depend on our body so much and it depends on us to take care of it. So a detox can help you to renew your energy, concentration and immune function, release extra weight and regenerate your skin, reset your appetite and shrink your stomach, reduce puffiness, bloating, aches and pains, revitalize your natural joy for life and raise your vibration and reconnect spiritually. Although our bodies automatically detox daily, this process could use a little help. A detox program is a holistic approach that restricts certain foods from a diet for a period of time. You can enhance your detox program by including deep breathing, stretching, sweating and skin brushing. Aim to let go of foods containing chemical preservatives, salt, sugar and rancid fat such as fried foods. Aim to add in more raw and cooked plant foods. These foods are hydrating and nourishing. Fresh fruits and veggies are key to include in any detox program. This is because they contain lots of water to help flush out toxins. They also contain phytonutrients and detoxing enzymes. Green juices made with about 50% greens, fruits and veggies are a great source of sodium, potassium and magnesium. These particular minerals keep your electrolytes balanced and your cells plumped up and hydrated. Health and beauty is simple with a spring cleanse. It will help you to look and feel fresh and alive. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.